From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. joining us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak. Today we continue a series of studies on the doctrine of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, please enjoy this devotional thought taken from Morning and Evening by Charles Haven Spurgeon. This morning's text is found in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. I am the Lord, I change not. It is well for us that amidst all the variableness of life, there is one whom change cannot affect, one whose heart can never alter, and on whose brow mutability can make no furrows. All things else have changed, all things are changing. The sun itself grows dim with age, the world is waxing old. The folding up of the worn-out vesture has commenced. The heavens and earth must soon pass away. They shall perish. They shall wax old as doth a garment. But there is one who only hath immortality, of whose years there is no end, and in whose person there is no change. The delight which the mariner feels, when after having been tossed about for many a day, he steps again upon the solid shore, is the satisfaction of a Christian when amidst all the things of this troublous life, he rests the foot of his faith upon this truth. I am the Lord. I change not. The stability which the anchor gives the ship when it has at last obtained a holdfast is like that which the Christian's hope affords him when it fixes itself upon this glorious truth. With God is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Whatever his attributes were of old, They are now. His power, His wisdom, His justice, His truth are alike unchanged. He has ever been the refuge of His people, their stronghold in the day of trouble, and He is their sure helper still. He is unchanged in His love. He has loved His people with an everlasting love. He loves them now as much as He ever did. And when all earthly things shall have melted in the last conflagration, His love will still wear the dew of its youth. Precious is the assurance that He changes not. The wheel of providence revolves, but its axle is eternal love. Death and change are busy ever. Man decays, and ages move. But His mercy waneth never. God is wisdom. God is love.
is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life are ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten. If anything is obvious in this modern society, it is that people are confused, frightened, and uncertain about the future. Where does one look for the solution to the universal problems of guilt, doubt, and temptation? A number of years ago, Dr. Alan Cairns produced a booklet entitled A New Beginning, which deals with such questions as, How may I have my sins forgiven and my guilt removed? How may I be sure that I possess eternal life and that I am not deluding myself? And how may I enjoy the Christian life and live above constant failure and frustration? Dr. Cairns answers these questions from the Word of God. A new beginning is for inquirers into the nature of the Christian message of salvation and for Christians desiring to gain a good grasp of the first principles of the gospel. 
It is useful for both personal use and for group study and discussion. For a free copy of A New Beginning, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of A New Beginning, and we'll be happy to provide it. Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues his series of studies in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit as he brings the opening portion of a message entitled, The Work of the Spirit in the Ministry of Christ. As we'll see, the Holy Spirit was active in every portion of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus, from His birth to His resurrection and glorification. When the angel appeared to Joseph as he considered putting away Mary, who was found with child, The heavenly messenger said, That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. In the course of this message, Dr. Cairns will seek to help us understand the great mystery of how Christ's sinless humanity and his essential deity were brought together in the Incarnation. Now Dr. Cairns commences this message, The Work of the Spirit in the Ministry of Christ. Now today we're continuing with our studies in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to read some verses in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and uh, one and 2, and then Isaiah 42 and verse 1, and Isaiah 61 and verse 1. So, get your fingers in all three places. And then we'll proceed with the reading. Isaiah 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of of the Lord. Chapter 42 and verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, 
and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Then chapter 61, from verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Amen. The Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of these three brief passages from his own precious word for his namesake. The vastness of the role of the Holy Spirit of God as it's taught by the Word of God, comes as a great surprise to many Christians. You see, to most Christians nowadays, the work of the Holy Spirit is limited to regeneration, to sanctification, and enabling believers to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with power. Now, these are very important parts of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but nothing could be further from the truth than to limit the working of the Spirit of God to such a very confined area. If you have been with us over our past studies, you'll remember that we have seen the specific mentions of the working of the Holy Ghost in the realm of creation. Then we have proceeded, and we have seen him working in various other areas. The last one we looked at was the area of the giving of Scripture, the inspiration of the Word of God. Now today I want us to proceed even further as we look at the realm in which the Spirit of God operates, and I want us to think of the work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through our Bibles, we will find that the Holy Spirit was, and I think I can say still is, vitally active and involved in every part and at every stage of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll say right at the beginning today that some of what we have to look at in the Word of God will perplex you as it perplexes me. My job is to preach what the Bible says. My job is not to be able to explain so that God is understood. I can't do that. I can preach, and that will be for our edification, for it always does us good to know and to believe what God says about himself. 
But there will be things that will certainly be beyond our ability to explain. Just as I can't even begin to explain myself, I think I can say I cannot begin to explain the being and the person of God. So I just give you that as a wee warning right at the top of the message and get you ready to do some serious study in the Word of God in this subject. The very first area in which the Holy Spirit operates in the ministry of Christ is, of course, in His incarnation. Now, when you turn to Scripture, you find that the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all said to be involved in the incarnation just as in creation. For instance, the Father is involved because Hebrews 10 Verse 5 gives us the word of Christ himself. He's speaking to his Father, and he says, A body thou hast prepared me. So the Father is clearly vitally involved in the incarnation. The Son of God himself is obviously vitally involved in the incarnation. In Philippians chapter 2 from verse 6, we read that he who was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was found in fashion as a man. So the Son was involved, but in a very special and preeminent way. The formation, and I use that word as being the best that I can come up with in my knowledge of the English language, the formation of the humanity of Jesus Christ is peculiarly attributed to the Spirit of God. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and in verse 18, you have these words. Note them carefully. Matthew 1.18. The very end of the verse, speaking of Mary, while she was still a virgin, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And you'll find that, if anything, it's stated even more precisely. We have here the message of the angel to Mary. And uh, Mary asks the question, verse 34, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? How shall a virgin give birth to a child? The answer is, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I want you to get that very, very clearly. I don't want to take much time in actually expounding those verses because there's a lot of ground for us to cover. But there are a couple of things that I need just in passing to touch on and put some heretical opposition out of the way. For example, the Unitarians come to this verse and they say that, uh, well, it was after his birth and because of his birth that he was called the Son of God. 
Therefore, he couldn't have been the Son of God from all eternity. This is an attack, obviously, upon the absolute and essential deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unitarians have blinkers on when they come to the Bible. They have not only blinkers in their eyes, but they have darkness in their heart, according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19. And I tell you, the mistake they are making is that they are confounding two things. They are confounding an eternal reality, namely the sonship and the deity of Jesus Christ on the one hand, and the confession of that fact in point of time by the church of Christ. Because of the virgin birth of Christ, because God the Son has actually taken a human nature into personal union with himself and has personally come into the world because of that incarnation, throughout the world there is now a church which confesses him to be the Son of God. That does not constitute him the Son of God. That merely calls him the Son of God. And it is a great fallacy to confound the two. Something else. You will notice the word, Wherefore also that holy thing shall be called the Son of God. And uh, here again, Unitarians, of course, not believing in the inspiration of Scripture, are very slovenly in their exegesis of the Word of God. We believe that all Scripture, even down to the smallest particles of it, are, is inspired of God. And this Word also, wherefore also this shall be called the Son of God. If this also shall be called the Son of God, the indication is that that title belonged primarily and, yes, essentially and eternally, not to the human nature, but to the divine nature of Jesus Christ. This also shall be called the Son of God. Why? Because it is brought into personal union with that which is eternally the Son of God. It's a very important verse this here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. But this formation of the substance of Mary, of the human nature of Jesus Christ, and I'll come back to that phrase, of the substance of Mary. I'll come back to that a little later. But this formation of the substance of Mary, uh, of the human nature of Jesus Christ, is set down to this efficient cause. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore, as the direct result of that supernatural activity of the Spirit of God in the womb and upon the substance of the Virgin Mary, as the direct result, that which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. As the result of this, we can say Christ was truly man. It's a true humanity that our Savior bears because of the action of the Holy Spirit. But we can say because of that divine activity, it was a sinless humanity. 
see, when you and I are born, we are born of the seed of the man. We are born of Adam's seed with the transmission through procreation of original sin, of the guilt of Adam's first transgression, we being in his loins legally and actually participating in it. We have the guilt of Adam's first transgression. We have the pollution and the corruption of the whole nature. Now that is the liability that belongs to every man that's born of the seed of Adam. But by means of a virgin birth, by the operation of the Holy Spirit in a mighty supernatural and sanctifying work, he took of the substance of the virgin and creating a new thing, as the prophet says, compassing the man, setting aside the man, he produced the humanity of Jesus Christ. True humanity. For he was born of Mary. But sinless humanity because of the miraculous intervention of the Spirit of God. Hence the Holy Ghost records in Scripture again and again the sinlessness of Christ. Hebrews 4.15 He was in all points tempted like as we are apart from sin, without sin. Even in His temptations He was different. Our temptations come from without and from within. We have a Trojan horse, as it were, within the camp. We have that which reaches out to the external stimulus. But when the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted, he was assaulted from without. Within, there was no nature of sin. He was tempted, but without sin. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, founded by Dr. Alan Cairns. Let the Bible Speak is also heard in many parts of the world through the international radio outreach of Let the Bible Speak, produced in Northern Ireland. The Free Presbyterian Church stands without apology for the absolute inerrancy of the Bible, emphasizing preaching that centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and is militant in its stand against the ecumenical apostasy and the efforts of the world to infiltrate the church. For further information about the Free Presbyterian Church, you may email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408, or you may write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Also, we encourage you to visit the website of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America at www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 